At Farmers Insurance, we know every windshield collision has a unique sound. Beetle. Bird poop. Drone. Seen it? Covered it. Click for more. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Underwritten by Farmers Truck Fire Insurance, Exchanges and Affiliates. Products not available in every state. Mr. President, I'm here! I voted for you! Wait a minute. That guy on the grassy knoll's got a gun! He's gonna shoot the president! Holy smokes, I've gotta do something! All right, Lee. Time to become an American hero. Darkmyths.org and Neopolis Media Group proudly present to you the Lone Gunman Podcast, featuring your host, Rob Clark, where research comes to shine and myths come to die. Stay tuned. Be right there. Following the failed invasion, Kennedy fired CIA Director Alan Dulles and his entourage. Kennedy then declared his wish to splinter the CIA into a thousand pieces and scatter it to the winds. Feeling betrayed and angry, could the agency's desire to protect itself be the perfect motive to murder the president? According to theorist Jefferson Morley, the CIA were the first to publish a conspiracy theory about the president's death. Within a day of JFK's death, The Cuban Student Directorate released an article in Trinchera magazine, which linked Lee Harvey Oswald to the Cuban president, Fidel Castro. Based in Miami, the magazine received $4.8 million each year from George Joannides, the CIA's chief of psychological operations in Miami. Over 1,000 files about Kennedy's death are currently being held by the CIA. These top-secret files will supposedly detail just why Joannides felt the need to fund the conspiracy story in the aftermath of the president's death. In 2012, a small selection of these files revealed that Lee Harvey Oswald had been closely monitored for four years, with surveillance only ending 44 days prior to the murder. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the show. This is episode 113 of the Lone Gummin Podcast. That's right, 113. There's 112 more back in the archive, so if you dig what you're listening to, go back and get all of them. They're all free for you. This week, I got a special show for you. A guest of mine and buddy and friend and pal and birthday boy, Mr. Carmine (laughs) Savastano, comes back to the show. What's up, buddy? Thanks a lot for the birthday wish. (laughs) Happy 29th birthday, you know. And not 29th. Yes. 39th. 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 Well, I knew it was some kind of ninth, right? It's all the same. Eh, you know, it doesn't matter. It's all the same after 21. (laughs) Yeah, you got that right. Once you hit 40. You're like, hey, I don't want any more birthdays, you know. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> no celebrations, no more. Exactly. Make me some cake. I'll talk to you later. <laughs> yep. Give me some ice cream. I'll shut up. We're here in the corner. <laughs> so what's been happening, man? Uh, you know, just the usual, the research grind. I'm sure you've uh, heard about things that have been going on in the community lately. You know, everybody's talking about 2017, and then you've got the ridiculousness from some corners about... uh science fiction stories but <laughs> oh most definitely most definitely 
Yeah, yeah. Those science fiction stories of uh yeah, of Judith Baker. And you know, she claims not to be a researcher. And you know what? She has another new book coming out. It'll be out this fall, where she actually pretends to be a researcher <laughs> and is putting out another, yet another book on the uh Kennedy assassination. I well, love we'll, we'll see if Wikipedia makes it into the most used sources list again. Oh, good lord. Mm. All right, well, look, this week we're going to be talking about uh, a fellow by the name of James Wilcott. And the reason I wanted to talk to you about this fella is because I see him popping up in a lot, a lot of places. Once again, you know, it's almost like a a cyclical thing with this so-called evidence, you know, that people like to spout at times, you know, and... uh. You know, it's well, you know, if what he's saying is true, then sure, it's a fantastic revelation. But once again, it's just what he's saying. You know what I'm saying? So, Carmine, if you will, uh, just just walk us through a little bit of James Wilcott. Tell us who he was, uh, what he said, uh, what he alleged, uh, you know, and why we're going to be talking about him today. Okay. Well, yeah, Wilcott is another one of the earlier, uh, basically largely speculative ideas that comes out of the case that people in some instances have attached themselves to. I even briefly commented on some of his allegations in my book because I wanted people to see that it some of the things that he suggested were possible. Unfortunately, he didn't present a lot of the evidence for what he said. Ah, that's, so. a, that's a big problem with this, some of this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. The you know I'm all for us looking at what insiders and he by all means was a CIA insider at least into its financial abilities and what some of the projects that they funded. So it's it's worth at least having a look. But I think people attach themselves way too quickly and they want to believe what he has to say rather than you know subjecting his comments to the evidence process. Yeah, I mean because this is not the first quote CIA insider to tell us that they have information you know, concerning the CIA and the Kennedy assassination. The question is motive, (laughs) motivation for saying what they're saying. And, you know, is it believable? Is it provable? Et cetera. Yeah. So James Wilcott, he began working for the CIA in 1956 and he was an agency finance clerk. And he stated in testimony before later on before the House Select Committee that his primary responsibilities were record keeping and dispersing funds. So Wilcott operated in this fashion from 57 to 1960, and he was located in an agency building off the Potomac River. He was moved to the agency Tokyo Station and in 1964 returned for work at CIA headquarters in Langley, Virginia. Agency files attribute him responsible for large six-figure financial transfers to revolving funds, balancing accounts, making financial arrangements with business people, and the posting and maintenance of financial ledgers. Right, so basically he's in charge of Paying out, <laughs> yeah, he's in charge of paying out, I guess, what mostly cash payments to questionable a, <laughs> agents, agents' assets or informants. Yeah, yeah. So Wilcott, you know, he he does have, you know, at least the knowledge of what some of the programs going on. The problems start to occur after he starts making the definite statements. Like Wilcott asserted that. It was his understanding that Lee Harvey Oswald was an employee of the agency and was an agent. Now, just taking that and stepping back and looking at it, 
the problems, in my opinion, without even going into, you know, we're going to go into the evidence, but the problems are if Oswald was anything in connection with the agency, which has not been proven, but if he was, it was, it's a lot more likely he would have been an informant. Yeah. Because Oswald didn't have the education or the training to be an agent. No, no, not at all. And, I mean, while it is interesting to suppose that the whole defection thing was part of some kind of super secret CIA, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah, like, yeah, a huge clandestine operation. Yeah, operation. If it was some, you know, some super secret CIA operation, you know, and this, you know, you could say, well, this guy was undercover for two and a half years. I mean, you know, good Lord. But, you know, I mean, you got to look at the financials here. If, 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 if Lee Oswald undertook this whole defection thing under the direction of a CIA operation, you know, or any other official, um, you know, clandestine agency, then I don't know about you, Carmine, but if I came back after two and a half years of defecting to Russia and, and gaining intel on it, I'd want to be paid, brother. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. And we, you know, we have that, and then we have the documentation that the CIA had no idea that the public would ever get access to, where we have Thomas Cassason saying that, you know, we talked about this in one, one of your uh, earlier episodes, where Cassason came out and said that there was an interest in using Oswald when he came back for information on Minsk. So, right. to me, that means that the majority of the CIA, you know, there could have been the mythical car- compartmentalized, you know, super assassination plan that none of us know about and there's no proof of, but... Putting that aside, chances are they didn't know about him. They wanted to use him as soon as he got back. Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it was some of you know. I don't think he was there. I mean, I'm sure. I'm sure there were some CIA defector, you know, operations in play. Oh yeah. But I don't know necessarily that that Oswald was one of them. Mm-hmm. He could have um, been a distraction too, for one. Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, he had so, all sorts of uses that they could have gotten out of him just because he attracted a lot of attention. Yeah, I don't think it was he was he was there officially, you know, as as an agent, a full-on, you know, super spy and, you know, where he was getting paid for doing what he was doing because, you know, like I said, if it was me and when I got back after doing all that and living like that for two and a half years and, and maintaining this false identity for two and a half years, you better pay me. Yeah, and you wouldn't get married, most likely, because that's another no-no in the intelligence community. You're not, I mean, it happened. Trust me, it happened, and there's a few examples you can name, like Charlotte Bustos, Fidela, and other people that did get married to people who were connected with intelligence matters. But, I mean, the CIA at the time was actively afraid, because there was a dozen other cases of Soviet women marrying American defectors, and then coming back to the United States, divorcing them, and possibly being KGB plants, just sleeper agents for a later date to come out. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's ludicrous to think that, you know, they wouldn't have attached some kind of a female uh, to any of the defectors, you know, to keep a closer eye on them and see what exactly, you know, exactly what they're up to or mm-hmm. because, you know, I mean, it goes back, 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 way back in history is, you know, that's uh that's one a great, of, yeah, great way to put a hook in somebody so you can yeah, keep an eye on them. That's one of man's greatest weaknesses, you know, the <laughs> the honey trap. It's actually listed in the CIA uh in the handbook. Exactly. <laughs> you know, and it's it's not out of the realm of possibility that that's exactly what Marina was. 
you know, and then once she got here, it, you know, all bets are off. So exactly. Then she had yeah, just maybe turned for herself and decided to tell them to go screw themselves. Yeah, I mean, because once she's here, it's not like they can get to her. And, and now, especially after the assassination, she's got all these eyes on her, all this attention. They can't do anything to her. So, yeah. you know. Yeah, it's just as viable a possibility as any. You know, I mean, and people need to think about it. It's not, we always need to be open, I think, to not only new evidence, but to changing any of our even most longest held beliefs. Yeah, because, I mean. That stuff can change on a dime if the right evidence comes out. Yeah, I mean, you got to remember, too, you know, this wasn't some one or two year long courtship. This was a week <laughs> within a week or two of knowing each other, you know, mm-hmm. Oswald is popping the question and I'm sure it was prodded on by her. I mean, this he's laying in the hospital, you know, I'm sure he's not worried about, you know, Oh, I, I got to marry, you know, Marina, you're so beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, come on. Yeah. And even in his, uh, in his diary, he talks about how he did it to make another woman mad. That he was angry. The first, uh, is it is it Nell Cordoba? I'm trying to remember the first woman. Or no, it's not her. There's another woman he was in love with. Yeah, in Russia. Yeah. But he was in love with her, and in his diary, he actually recorded that marrying Moreno would be another way to get back at her, too, for you know not responding to his advances. Yeah, but I mean, you know... If you're Marina, you know, you don't, you're not marrying this cast, right? you know, within a week or two. Yeah. Uh, you know, unless you yeah, got she wanted other to get the hell out of Russia. <laughs> well, yeah. Like. Yeah, that too. <laughs> but, you know, there was no guarantee she was going to get the hell out of Russia, mm-hmm. you know, because it did, sure as hell didn't happen uh, immediately. You know what I mean? And the fact that her uncle was, you know, had, had intelligence ties, you know, the equivalent mm-hmm. of the FBI over there or whatever it was. Yeah, I think he was, was working with. Was yeah, working. you know it's 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 certainly a viable viable question, you know, to question Marina and her motives. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But anyway, back. Yeah, we to, went off a little there, but yeah. yeah, no, I think that that was relevant, though. I think that yeah, yeah, you know, it doesn't matter who the person is. Everyone, need, you need to be skeptical unless you can prove what they say. So with Wilcott, um, so Wilcott had stated the thing about. He said he thought Oswald was an agent. So Wilcott further alleges Oswald was a regular employee receiving a full-time salary for agent work doing CIA operational work. Yet the first time Wilcott states hearing about Oswald being connected to the CIA is after President Kennedy's assassination. So despite the fact that he would have feasibly gone over some of the records that he's talking about, you know, that could actually prove Oswald was an agent – he still didn't hear anything about this. Like he, it, it, nothing got tripped up to him anyway until after the assassination. Right. So he says there's a lot of excitement going on at the station after the Kennedy assassination. He said towards the end of my tour of duty, I heard certain things about Oswald somehow being connected with the agency, and I didn't really believe this when I heard it, and I thought it was absurd. Then as time went on, I began to hear more things. Again, these are just Wilcott hearing rumors. You know, he doesn't offer any evidence to verify his claims. And he says he can't remember when he's questioned under, uh, by the HSCA. He says he can't remember the exact person who told him this information. He says at least six or seven unnamed people said they knew or believed Oswald to be an agent of the CIA. However, they are nameless and they can't be verified. Right. So eventually Wilcott is offered a name and he states to the best of his recollection that person confirms his claims. Yet after that, he says, 
it has been 15 years, and I can't remember specifically who said it, but I'm sure that Jerry Fox, for instance, had at least made some mention of it. Yeah, now, I mean, you know, if, if, I mean, I understand before the assassination, the name Lee Harvey Oswald wouldn't have, you know, been setting off any bills. He'd have just been some other guy you had to pay, you know, whatever, whatever. Mm-hmm. But you would think that you would maybe go back. It had to be in some kind of official record, you know, somewhere on paper, you know, and you look around and rip that little page out of the notebook and stick it down your pants and, you know, exactly. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, yeah. And that's the, the, one of the problems with it is just the timing of Wilcott's statements, because he tries to say that uh, they had a policy, you know, like we know about how the tapes got destroyed early from Mexico city. They had a policy about always destroying things after a certain amount of time. Well, according to Wilcott, it was a 30-day policy. and But when he's making the statements, he, he talks about how he could go back and check, but it was more than 30 days. It was actually a few months. So that record would be gone anyway. Yeah. So but, he's basically he's, trying to use a record that doesn't exist to support what he's saying. But when he's talking to the HSCA, he, he's, he's saying, you know, that the day after the assassination, people already started talking about, Lee Harvey Oswald being connected with the CIA and you, you would think he would at least check. Yeah. That day. And he, yeah, yeah. He, for whatever reason, he just doesn't, you know, he, he is, he said that an unnamed, and uh, that's another problem I have with it is that he doesn't name anybody. <laughs> yeah. An unnamed case officer came to his window to draw money and said, the money I drew the last couple of weeks ago or so was money either for the Oswald project or for Oswald. So now it could be either. Hmm. It's not just, it could be Oswald's name. It could be the Oswald project. Right. So, yeah, you know, like we were just talking about, Wilcott retained no evidence. He has no person to confirm the claim with, and he can't remember the identity of the case officer he's making the reference to. Yeah. The Oswald project is a whole different ball of wax. We get into sometimes. <laughs> yeah. So, so Wilcott is unable to remember when the conversation took place. He claims the unnamed case officer mentioned Oswald's cryptonym, which is another detail he didn't say the first time. Hmm. And Wilcott does not remember it either. <laughs> of course not. Yeah. That's, yeah. It's, you know, and I like a lot of us who support, you know, what we can prove and are shooting for the feasibility because it does appear very feasible from substantial evidence there was a conspiracy. This hurts us when these kind of claims happen because as soon as all of it falls apart, it just makes anyone who tries to suggest conspiracy look bad. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm just sitting here trying to think of of uh, what Oswald's cryptonym would have, could have been, you know, like A.M. Scruffy or, or something. You know? <laughs> I know, exactly, yeah. A.M. <laughs> Spick and Span. Yeah, A.M. Comrade. Oh. But anyway, sorry. <laughs> nice. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, so then... ZR Carcano. <laughs> nice. <laughs> ZR Mauser. <laughs> uh, additionally, uh, another thing to consider is that the agency, like I said a little bit before, they only had the 30 day logbooks before they were closed. So Wilcott's never able to discover if his claims were supported by evidence, and he eventually only checked a single payment book in his possession, but found no proof to support the Oswald payment. Of course not. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's unfortunate, you know, I mean, it, and that's the problem is that, you know, some people, when they see something like this, they just take it right off the top. They don't do any of the, you know, fact checking. They don't, I don't expect everyone to always research everything they read, 
But at the very least, you know, yeah, do I mean, a little bit of fact checking. <laughs> yeah, I mean, while the guy's saying a lot, he's not really saying anything. Yeah, yeah, he's just speculating. Yeah, yeah, but people, I mean, it astounded me as much as I've seen this guy pop up as proof that, you know, Oswald was part of the CIA and he was a CIA agent because this CIA agent said so and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, what? <laughs> what? Exactly. You know, and they, and then you see, yeah, the people that run with it, that's even worse because then they just try to start, the story already has so many holes, but then they try to fill the holes with just even worse ideas. So then Oswald is not only an agent for the CIA, some people are calling him an agent for the CIA and the FBI, which is even more improbable. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, I mean, I doubt, you know, you had to be a pretty elite fella to, to be working both sides of that fence, you know what I mean? Exactly, gotta, and you know, chances are it'd be very hard to go undiscovered working as an agent for both, let alone one. Yeah, I mean, you'd have to be on banister level type, you know, credentials. Yeah, yeah only a few people were able to do that, a handful, yeah, I mean, banister, um, Harvey, there was only a few people that served both agencies. Right. So, yeah. So, Wilcott, he states the relevant county files were destroyed, and he helped destroy them, he says <laughs> at one point in his testimony, despite his later claims about Oswald. Nice. So, he never looked at the agency files to confirm beyond that one book, beyond his one uh, ticket book, if Oswald had a genuine connection. He confirmed agency files were destroyed or changed, and we know that's true. You know, that's what kind of lends a little bit more credence to some of his ideas, is because that is actually true. The, the, you know, we can prove the agency did destroy and change files to try to cover itself. Right. Yeah. But that is not, you know, that doesn't indicate that his charges are true. <laughs> no. So, you know, he adds that he had a later conversation about the Oswald allegation, but got no evidence to support it. When he refers to the people supporting the allegation, he states they made references to Oswald being related in a speculative manner. That's in quotations. So even in testimony, he says, even the people I was talking to about this were speculating. Nice. So that that's basically James Wilcott and, and you know, what, he, what he's telling the HSCA in, in a nutshell. And, and we'll get back to James Wilcott in just a second. But Carmine, do you know what time it is? I think it might be my favorite time. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It is time for the ridiculousness of the week. <laughs> God, man, I got so many uh, technical issues with this damn sound button. Okay, hold on. Okay. Ridiculousness of the week. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is a low-budget uh, affair here at the Lungum Podcast. <laughs> I don't have a, a you know big official soundboard. Uh, but I do the best I can. You know what I mean? It was fine. That was fine. <laughs> so, Carmine, did you know that this week, for Ridiculousness of the Week, that we can go home, man? Our work is done with the Kennedy assassination. Uh, someone solved it again, did they? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. This is big news, Carmine. This is big news. I know. How many retirements are we going to have to plan? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> This comes from the desk of Stu Webb and StuWebb.com. Uh, Stu Webb is the fellow who uh, uh, asserts that uh, George H.W. Bush is a infant-killing, blood-drinking devil worshiper. And uh, 
<laughs> well, when you come at it so reasonably from the beginning, <laughs> how could anyone doubt what you're saying? I know, I know. You know, and and known associate of uh, one Professor James Fitzer. Oh, oh, even better. His credentials. Oh yeah. Pros. Oh yeah. Now this actual article appears on StuWeb.com. It's written by a fellow named Tom Hennigan who uh, asserts that he is an international intelligence expert. Okay. Ah, Dateline, United States of America. (laughs) It can now be be reported, Carmine, that a U.S. military court in Washington, D.C. has reopened the investigation in the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. Can you believe it? Really? Yes, because... Any of the paperwork from the court or transcripts? (laughs) Even better than paperwork, brother. Even better. Note... It says, there is no statute of limitations for murder or high treason. Keep that in mind. New evidence has been supplied to the U.S. military court and the U.S. Michigan flag officers. Now, Carmine, I know you're from Michigan. (laughs) Have you ever heard of the uh, U.S. Michigan flag officers? No. No, I have not. (laughs) Okay. The U.S. Michigan flag officers. Yeah. yeah. They'll come into play a little bit more here. So let me keep reading while you Google. Uh, from the Russian Federation, this, this supposed new evidence comes from the Russian Federation and French and Vatican intelligence. Okay? This is big news. French and Vatican intelligence. Yes. Why would the Vatican, I guess because he was Catholic? I don't know. They're behind everything, too. You know, you need Ah. to know that. Um, So this new evidence has been supplied to the U.S. military court and the U.S. Michigan flag officers from the Russian Federation, French and Vatican intelligence dealing with the JFK assassination, including a never-before-seen 1963 film that is now available in high definition that clearly shows five shooters firing at the president of the United States in Dealey Plaza in Dallas, Texas on November 22nd, 1963. And that's where it all just falls apart nicely, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> is this the babushka ladies? I mean, what, what the hell is this? Yeah, okay. this is like another revision of Fetzer. Hey, at least they came down a shooter, right? Fetzer's always saying six. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully we'll get, you know, to more realistic numbers soon, you know, another decade or two. <laughs> yeah. And get this. Thankfully... They were kind enough to supply current U.S. ambassador to Japan and daughter of John F. Kennedy, Caroline Kennedy, a copy of this film. Yeah, here's a copy of your dad getting shot by like five different people. All right, it says here, it says here seven arrest warrants have been issued by this U.S. military court and the legendary... Carmine, U.S. Michigan flag officers. So these guys are legendary, but I've never heard of them. You've never heard of them. You're and in- I just Googled them, and there is nothing. Oh, God. There, there, there's, the, there's the talk. <laughs> I'm sorry. I hope I didn't reveal anything early, but uh, I'm looking, and uh, they talk about there's what a flag officer is and different organizations that have flag officers, but there is nothing that comes up yet that I've seen on Michigan, the U.S. Michigan flag officers, some you know, great committee of people. Yeah, I don't know what the hell this is. So it says seven seven arrest warrants have been issued by the U.S. military court, and apparently they have uh, 
arrest warrant uh, subpoena power, whoever the hell they are, and the legendary U.S. Michigan flag officer for individuals still alive and tied to the plot to assassinate President Kennedy with five of the individuals residing in that treasonous state of Texas. That's right, everybody out there listening in Texas, you are now part of a treasonous state that helped How murder. ridiculous. <laughs> I'm not done yet. <laughs> the major warrant deals with the immediate arrest of former U.S. President and CIA Director Nazi Skull and Bones German George Herbert Walker Bush. <laughs> uh, yeah, good luck executing that warrant, pal. P.S. Carmine, P.S. The notes of the late U.S. Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia, who was executed for high treason by the U.S. Michigan flag officers. <laughs> what? Yeah. Are now in possession are now in the possession of the U.S. military court, including those dealing with the cover-up of the 1963 assassination and the Nazi German Skull and Bones Bush crime family plot and conspiracy to assassinate former President Ronald Reagan using Bush family crony John Hinckley Jr. as a trigger man. <sighs> Boy, there just isn't an assassination attempt they don't want to put the Bushes in, huh? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, it's not that it's bad enough, just the things they actually did. <laughs> they have to try to make up these ridiculous stories. Oh, yeah. Note, <laughs> Scalia directly conspired to violate the Vi Voting Rights Act of 1965, a direct <laughs> warning to the Nazi Bush crime family filth. Your days on American soil are, are numbered. Constitution duly elected President Albert Gore Jr. will soon be inaugurated by the U.S. military court <laughs> and use direct brute force to get your filthy Nazi German treasonous skull and bones bloodline. Yeah. Wow. In closing, the U.S. Second Civil War <laughs> and Revolution is now clearly underway. We can now report that members of the U.S. Air Force from the state of Texas headquartered at Offutt Air Force Base in the state of Nebraska have flown their aircraft back to Texas soil at the, the, at the Dias Air Force Base, given the warning from the U.S. Michigan flag officers that the state of Texas has 24 hours to turn over the entire Nazi German crime family syndicate bloodline or face incarceration. That includes you too, Mr. Alex Jones. Duly elected... President Albert Gore Jr. awaits inauguration. The supreme law of the United States and U.S. Constitution demands it, Carmine. And that, folks, <laughs> that, folks, is your ridiculousness of the week. Yeah. As a little, as a little post note to that, uh, you notice the only source that's quoted anywhere is that website you're reading from the Stu Web website. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that, folks, and I don't think we need to say any more about it. I mean, it's no. quite self-explanatory. It speaks for itself. <laughs> How flipping ridiculous is that? I mean, good lord. Yeah, that's that's approaching Ted Cruz's dad rumors. Yeah, but you know, people people see this shit on the internet, and and they 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 just believe it. Hook, mm -hmm. line, and sinker. And oh, then yeah. disseminate it. Because, I mean, I found that in some JFK group. Somebody was posting as, as proof of something. And I'm like, are you freaking serious, dude? Oh, yeah. No, it's, it, it is baffling how many bad ideas 
<laughs> have been kicking around for decades that people are still talking about that have been debunked already, you know, oh, yeah. multiple times. Oh, yeah. So that, folks, is your ridiculousness of the week. <laughs> and it is quite ridiculous. I must yes, say. I knew you would enjoy that one. I've been wow. saving yeah, that one for that, you. That Yeah, that is a that was a good one. <laughs> I had I had hopes that you would know who the U.S. Michigan flag officers were. Um but apparently they don't exist either. So, <laughs> well, I mean, flag officer. It's yeah. It, it, I think it depends on the country. It's like a military. You know, it's a rank of honor. I would, or you know, just a something to denote a special, you know, rank. I think they're just using it to make it sound official. But as soon as you started talking about the, the bloodlines and skull and bones and all that other crap. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of doesn't really matter. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can't make this shit up. You know what I mean? It's well, you can apparently. Well, yeah. <laughs> apparently you can. If your name's Stu, but yes, I know what you're saying. It is. Yeah. It is so ridiculous. We couldn't. <laughs> yeah, and he's he's allegedly this great federal whistleblower. I mean, get the hell out of here with that crap. Yeah, it's always a good rule of thumb too. I've always thought that if someone calls themselves an expert, they're usually not. <laughs> Pretty much. People call you expert. Yeah, or say, this is the truth. Believe yeah. me. It's generally not. So. <laughs> exactly. If it starts off with, this is the undisputed truth, then no one should ever try to challenge it. Yeah. See anything Ralph Sinkay has ever said in his life. Yeah, exactly. All Check right. out a Judy, you know, Judy Baker book. Anyways. <laughs> Anyways. Back to- yeah, back to James Wilcott. Uh, wow. Yeah, so... You know what? And in comparison, Wilcott is pretty strong compared to what we just discussed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's got like a yeah, like almost nearly primary evidence in compared to what we just discussed. Yeah, I mean, at least he, you know, he he actually was a, you know worked for the CIA. So <laughs> exactly. Um, okay, so so yeah, so we ended it last time uh, discussing talking about the speculative manner in which all the other people talked about it. So Wilcott's first Oswald allegation in public occurs in 1968. Five years passed before Wilcott mentions his suspicions. You know, so 63, he didn't say anything for five years. A lot of people say it was fear, but if fear kept him from talking originally, you would imagine it would have kept him from talking longer. Well, yeah, because, you, you know, it's five years. Yeah, because you got Garrison starting up his investigation and mm-hmm. I'm surprised he didn't get subpoenaed for that. Oh, yeah. Or didn't offer his services based on some of his actions afterwards. Well, that's true, too. So, yeah, so Wilcott is confronted with his additional allegations that Oswald was trained in Japan because Four Point Wilcott was at Tokyo Station, and he's given a course in Russian. He's then asked if he knew for a fact that these things occurred, and Wilcott responds, no, I know for a fact or I know from hearsay, and I believe it to be true from these circumstances. Yeah, I mean, there there is some odd oddness going on with the whole Oswald and the Russian language kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And... You know, for someone with Oswald's educational background, I just don't see yeah. him teaching himself uh, fluent Russian in less than a year. I just don't see it. Oh, no, I agree with that. Now, I believe he wasn't as dumb as, as he appeared to be. You know, I believe he was smart. Um, and, you know, some people just pick up languages better than others. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think he had to take some kind of a course in, in something at some point. Oh, I agree. I think, yeah, I think that he could have gotten instruction from, you know, from various places that we might not have discovered yet. Or, you know, it's kind of like the thing with the CIA. It does just because, you know, Oswald could have thought that he was an informant or an agent for the CIA, and it could have just been someone lying to him 
just like the study of assassination written by the CIA says use one person and only that one person ever talks to the person. It could have been a rogue member. You know what I mean? It could have been somebody who was doing everything off the books and was just telling Oswald that they were CIA that wanted to see this done. Yeah, I mean, it could have been ONI. It could have been... Yeah, there's all sorts of, yeah, you know, rogue or even ex-members that just knew how to do these things. Yeah, I mean, he might have made his... His desire to be, you know, a, a spy, you know, known to someone who was like, look, if you really want to get into this, look, I mean, get into Russia, show them what you can do, show them what you're capable of. There's no way that they won't want you after that. You, you know, you know, it could be as simple as that. Yeah, no. I, yeah. And I think that it gets overlooked sometimes. It doesn't always have to be. You know, so black and white as what would be the ultimate, you know, like these people are like the ridiculousness was trying to declare. Yeah, because, you know, he was he was reading Ian Fleming. You know, he had, he liked the TV show. I led three lives, whatever. You know, I'm sure he was interested in, in, in espionage or whatever. And, you know, I think somebody got in his ear from an early age and, uh, you know, said, well, if this is what you want to do, then, you know, you're going to need to know Russian. You're going to need to pretend to you know be some kind of a russian sympathizer you know you're gonna have to have this facade and uh you know i'm just thinking out loud here but yeah well no andy had marina too i think that's something that gets overlooked if anybody could have taught him russian it could have been her well yeah and you know you don't need to be fluent you know like just be able to walk to a native Russian and be like you know blah 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 yeah. you know you could know enough to get by and, and to, you know, just have a conversation with somebody, but, you know, to actually master the language, you know, if you're in a country for two and a half years, you're going to get pretty good at it regardless if you're, that's all you're around, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're definitely immersed in it. I, I can totally understand. I mean, I was a younger age than Oswald was, but when I was a kid, my grandparents, when I was 12, brought me to Italy. And by the time I left, I could speak, you know halfway fluent Italian to where I could have conversations with people. I couldn't really, you know, talk about something at length. Yeah. But I mean, if you were there for two and a half years, I think you, yeah, I was only there for six months and I could do it. So I think that after two and a half years, you definitely would have become immersed in the culture. Oh yeah. Most definitely. And you know, you, you would at least would would have wanted to, uh, you know, be able to understand a little bit of what people were saying, Mm -hmm. you know, especially if you're, in Oswald's position, what they're saying about you <laughs> and they think exactly. you don't understand, you know, Oh, I don't speak Russian. Well, you know, and they're like, I, you know, this stupid American, <laughs> you know, exactly. I mean? Oh, I'm sure he heard that a few times. Oh yeah. So that would have been, you know, that would have come in handy, you know, but uh... yeah. And the world where Wilcott goes wrong is that he tries to once again, link it back to himself based on just the speculation. Cause he said that Oswald was trained, you know, he, that, he believes the circumstances were true and that this would indicate a continuing lack of evidence for the Japanese training in the Russian course claims. You know, Wilcott admitted to the HFCA member uh, Harold Leap that his claims about Oswald in Japan were heard secondhand. Right. So, you know, in another CIA file, uh, a report of agency personnel were interviewed at Atsugi's U-2 airbase, and it was actually located in a separate location from where Oswald was stationed. Yeah, so, that's a problem. It would have made it harder, yeah, for Oswald to not be seen by somebody, you know, doing these things. Uh, agency principal coordinator with the HSCA, Scott Breckenridge. He's one of my favorite CIA guys <laughs> because he hates the HSCA staff so much. <laughs> it's just funny to watch them argue. Like in some of the documents, you can see him and uh, uh, Greg. Uh, is it Greg Burt? 
no, there's a damn. What's his name? Uh, uh, they're, they're, one of them is their last name is Bert on uh, on the HSCA staff, and they just go at each other for just dozens of pages, <laughs> you know, just trying to pick each other's arguments apart. But Breckenridge, he noted several problems with Wilcott's claims in a memo to Robert Blakey, who was the chief counsel, and he said that Wilcott's claims as a junior CIA finance officer who's assigned to Japan where he funded Oswald, although in fact Oswald departed from Japan prior to the time Wilcott sets for his own service there. Right, so Oswald and him weren't even over there at the same time. Yeah. So it, it, secondhand is be- the best Wilcott could offer. Right. He wasn't even there at the time. You know, and those named, you know, the problem is then they questioned the actual couple of people that he did name in his testimony, and all of them said they never made such statements to Wilcott. Now that, you know, could be either or. They might have made the statements, but they didn't want to get slammed by Breckenridge and the rest of the officers. Right. Or they didn't. So, you know, that's we can take that either way. Yeah. You know, it doesn't. It makes sense that they some of them would have said something, but they definitely didn't want to get smashed like Wilcott was getting over it. So, you know, and not to say that he wasn't harassed or any of these other things either. The agency doesn't want you talking about anything, so it doesn't matter if what you're saying is true or proven. If it's attracting attention to them, they want you to be quiet. Yeah. Now, was was he still a CIA employee at this time? Uh, he, yeah, he had start. well, he made his first statement in 68. That was after he, he actually resigned from the CIA. Okay. Um, yeah, some of Wilcott's, uh, insights into prior agency operations are notable. So this is what I want to say to the listener that, you know, he had a lot of problems with his statements, but some of them were interesting and did go along with some of the evidence. So there's basically, he has an assassination scenario. I wanted to, to read some of, and we could discuss. Yeah, well, real quick. <clears throat> um, yeah, the reason I asked you that question is because I thought I saw in one of the documents that they were they were referring to uh, Wilcott and said, you know, he needs to be reprimanded, and you know, if anything further happens, it will result in his termination. Yeah, that was because he got uh, arrested uh, for drinking and driving with a civil rights worker that he had been told to stay away from, and he was still communicating with a communist rights worker. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. This, this was when he was still employed. Yeah, this is, I, okay. I believe that was 65. Gotcha. So it was, yeah, shortly before he eventually ended up resigning. Okay. Um, so, yeah, the assassination scenario that a lot of people make, you know, such a huge deal about was in Wilcott's testimony to the HSCA. And it starts out with him saying CIA people killed Kennedy. Either it was an outright project of headquarters with the approval of McCone or it was done in, outside, perhaps under the direction of Dulles and Bissell. Now, just right there, you've got some of the biggest claims that we hear a lot in the community. Oh, yeah. Not really too founded either. But uh... Yeah, no, not founded on much, but, you know, he's just hitting the – and it, we see this a lot. You know, they go for the heavy hitters. They go for the biggest names that they think get the most attention. Right. When it's not so obvious because those men had the most – people don't seem to realize that the ones at the top have the most to lose and that yeah. a lot of them exist – beyond one presidential term you know jfk's second term isn't totally assured a lot of these guys just like hoover he outlived 10 presidents yeah yeah you don't have to kill them you can just outlast them (laughs) and dulles was gone before kennedy was even assassinated like he was 
Well, when people try to say that that's a motive, but I'm sorry, the Dulles brothers were involved in government for decades, and they were rich, and they didn't have to kill JFK to get what they wanted to get done. Dulles no. was still involved in projects even after he was gone. And he was old as shit by this time. Yeah. You know, he's near the end of his life, and he, you know, who, at that point, who cares? He, you know the what only I mean? one I could, yeah, the only one I wouldn't think that would apply to is Hoover, and Hoover, but Hoover had done it so many times, there was no need to kill JFK. There was no need to get involved. I think Hoover, once again, like with Dulles, they were trying to cover their asses on old projects that were illegal. They yeah. didn't want Kennedy's assassination to just rip open the decades of illegal stuff they had done. Yeah, and knowing Hoover, I'm sure he had some kind of dirt on them Kennedys. And Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. And he assured, you know, that... Uh, his uh, untouchable status. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he wouldn't needed to resort. He wouldn't have needed to resort to murdering them. Exactly. There are lots of easier ways to take care of them. Yeah. And that's what I've always, you know, that's one of the big problems I have with Dulles and LBJ is that you could have used poisons that could have mimicked Atkinson's disease. You could have used a car bomb, an airplane accident. There's all sorts of easier ways. The way that it was done infers either a clandestine means to trick everybody thinking it was a violent overthrow. So it would be people who would violently want to publicly heal Kennedy or it was just a violent public execution. And that doesn't mean those sorts of people would be involved. They don't need to make a big deal about it. They want would want it to go away quietly and then just move on to whoever's next. Yeah. I mean, and there's, there's, you know, this is, there's rumors of other presidents being quietly assassinated, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. poisoned. Yeah. Um, I think Roosevelt's one of them and, yeah, no, people have said, yeah, Garfield, some of the, that they're doctors, you know, yeah, there's all sorts of allegations, yeah. and those are just easier ways to do it, and no one ever needs to know about it. Yeah, I mean, you know, back, you know, we're talking medicine 60 years ago, you know, it wasn't like, yeah, it would have been easily <laughs> detectable, you know, to, to give them the old, the old instant heart attack, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, and yeah, and that got revealed in the church commission where they had the heart attack gun, and there's just a lot of better methods than public violent overthrow <laughs> yeah that men like dulles or bissell would have used oh yeah uh and so wilcott goes on to say it was done in retaliation for reneging on a secret agreement with dulles to support the invasion of cuba the other political factors previously mentioned were also issues but the breaking of the secret agreement was the principal point it was believed that unless cuba was seized by military force all of latin america would eventually go communist and the u.s would follow the communists soon after that was a fear that some of the fringe people had that is true and I think that's what makes sometimes to some people Wilcott's ideas stronger is because he does say some true things and does have some real motivations in what he's saying, but he's just making leaps that right. people are forgiving because he's saying some things that are true. Yeah. Um, so it's uh, elaborate preparations have been made to firmly put the blame on Castro and an immediate attack in Cuba would follow. But something had gone wrong. The attack was called off at the last moment. Prior to the election, the Eisenhower administration was complete agreement with the CIA that Cuba must be invaded. Bissell had been assigned to the task of directing the operation. The original plans called for an extensive spy network throughout Cuba that would be of great support to the invasion. Thus, a relatively small force would be needed, which eventually became the Bay of Pigs. Considerable populations, popular support would be mustered and the island secured quickly. By all appearances, it would have been done by Cuban patriots with only private and insignificant U.S. material and training. All U.S. citizens or military involved would be strictly volunteers. To all, it would seem a truly popular expression of the will of the majority to Cuba. Nixon's support of all this was a certainty had he won. Kennedy was a disaster to the Bissell brainchild, as the invasion came to be called. Even before inauguration, 
Much effort was directed to influence and pressure Kennedy, especially through the military. By the time of the secret agreement meeting in November of 1960, some softening up had been achieved, but he was by no means ready to buy. The accomplishments of the project at date were well behind schedules, and Kennedy knew it. And I think a lot of that, is, once again, it's true. You know, those were the feelings of a lot of people that it was a very tenuous situation and that a lot of people, you know, like Dulles and others, did publicly support that Cuba needed to be overthrown and that, you know, someone needed to be installed in there like they had with deals with Batista. But once again, it doesn't make <laughs> his JFK claims true. No, no, not at all. You know, it, it always intrigued me, you know, what? How Castro managed to stay in power all these years. Oh, yeah, no, he's the luckiest man on earth. Well, I think it's a little bit more than luck. Well, yeah, yeah, no, I think intelligence definitely played into it, you know, as he learned to dodge. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, but But it it wouldn't surprise me, you know, if, 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 you know, probably in in the mid-60s or something, you know, there was some kind of a back-channel deal made where, look, (laughs) you know, we could crush you. In like two seconds, we could wipe you off. We could wipe your whole island and sink it to the bottom of the ocean in like two seconds if we really, really wanted to, you know. So I, I, I don't know. I always thought there was probably some kind of a backdoor agreement that will leave you alone as long as, you know, you don't get too crazy down there. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I, I, I know that in uh, some of the documents I've seen, they did have backdoor diplomacy where, you know, kind of, even with the Cuban Missile Crisis, you know, they were doing that with the Russians, sending two messages, talking to different people when they were trying to make deals. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, you can even equate it to now. You know, you got, you know, they, they sniff, the, the, you know, they're, they're supposedly Saddam Hussein's got these weapons of mass destruction, mm-hmm. you know, blah, blah, blah. And now you got some crazy goofball in North Korea with nuclear capabilities and they're not doing a damn thing about it. Exactly. Well, I was reading about their last, <laughs> their last ballistic missile f- test failed. North Korea's. Yeah. Yeah. Attack. But all you need is one to work. You, oh, you know, know what I mean? Oh, I know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, oh, at least we're not at Cuban Missile Crisis, you know, levels anymore. No. I think most no. of the world realizes North Korea is just out of its mind and eventually one day we might all have to go in there and do something. <laughs> yeah. It's just, you know, I guess you could equate it to something like that, but, and who knows, there might be some backdoor channel there, you know, there's some agreement to look, you know. Yeah, exactly. You wave your hands around and look crazy and we'll yeah. keep sending you. Keep that shit on your side of the ocean, homie, and we won't mess with you. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, so, uh, and I think that his mentioning, you know, because it was done back in 68 of Dulles and Bissell has largely influenced a lot of people that will just, you know, that say it had to be Dulles and Bissell. I try to put them in Dealey Plaza, stuff like that. <laughs> oh, yeah. And they'll latch on to it because it supports their theory, you know, just like the whole David Talbot thing last week. And, you know, I, and I should mention, too, you know, Doug Doug ran across something else that, that Talbot had gotten wrong. He, he, he had a picture in his in his book um, of a meeting that occurred with LBJ and Dulles at his ranch. And he said it was happened in 1963, you know, before the assassination, likely, likely to, uh, you know, talk to each other and communicate about a plot or whatever, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like giving him a heads up, but it it turns out that this actual picture was taken in 1960. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Oops. 
and yeah. has been debunked for for a lot of years. And and once again, Talbot puts it in his book and alleges it alleges it, you know, as some kind of a sinister thing. But uh, that you know, that's something else. You know, I mean, aren't these don't these guys fact check anything, or do they think that you know, hey, I got a theory, I can put some stuff together, and I can make him buck off these JFK assassination rubes. You know yes. what I mean? <laughs> like, My answer to that is yes. <laughs> Some of these guys, I think, don't think that people fact check, and there are the others that just want to make a buck and they don't care what they put in. Yeah, hey, st- stick to editing online magazines, David Talbot, please. Okay, rant over. Sorry. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> okay, so yeah, but no, I think you know it's it's not unreasonable to want it to be verifiable. You know, if someone's going to say that this is the way it was, they need to have the proof there to verify it. So in, uh, Wilcott goes on to say, instead of an application of the most advanced techniques of subterfuge at a state-of-the-art level was presented, Kennedy was better prepared than had been anticipated. A very stormy parlay took place. Reasonable-sounding denials were made and tentatively accepted on most serious points, but were to be substantiated in further reports. Humble admissions to lesser failures with assurances of corrections and improvements, reorganizational plans along some painful compromises, one partial and immediate success. A specific reporting procedure on a regular basis was established. Certain oversight concessions were granted upon last resort, especially difficult for Bissell to take. Finally, Kennedy concluded a secret agreement support position contingent on absolute plausible cause for denial by the U.S. government and complete satisfaction in the other areas of contention. Tokyo Station people discussed the details of the meeting and what the real situation was, which surprised me for an affair so secret. It was said that the answer was given about the phony reports, and the true sentiments was that the Cuban people could not openly talk against Castro or the government. A scientific method developed on some kind of sampling basis was used. This method developed by Bissell's top experts. Kennedy was taken in by it, and so was Dulles. While some said outright that many it was phony, Bissell knew it. Others said that he believed it, and it came about unreasonable pressure put on the next in command, and the entire operation fell further and further behind schedule. Kennedy was not completely taken in by it. He had told Bissell and Dulles that he would have it checked out by his own experts. Dulles at least knew that it would be controversial, and Billis knew it would not go over. Others said the plan was concocted after the fact, that the case officer running the field agents was the real culprits. As Bissell pressured his top lieutenants, they in turn pressured case officers, intelligence officers, and project officers, who in turn pressured field agents to turn in reports that the Cuban desk wanted to hear. Now, that's true. That's very true, actually. And one of the reasons I included part of of, uh, Wilcott's statement in my book is because it all really was just a pressure job from the top down. They wanted it to happen. They wanted the Bay of Pigs to work, but they knew it couldn't. You know, in their heart of hearts, they had to know. Right. So... This is simply not a question of poor management. It was a contrived plot to secure a minimum basis to claim support after it was realized that truly valid minimum popular support could not be had. The original invasion plans were then changed to include the creation of an incident that would call for an all-out attack by the U.S. military. Kennedy was not to know of the change, and it was not discussed at the November 1960 meeting of the invasion briefing. One such plan was to somehow get Castro to attack Guantanamo Bay by making him believe that rebels were attacking from there. Another was to interpose a ship in a rebel attack and get it blown up. And that's that reminiscent of the Operation Northwoods talks that I'm sure we all had, where we pretend that some other group was attacking to give us an excuse to go in and attack ourselves. Oh, yeah. False flags. Mm-hmm. 
So this was said to have been discussed when the ONI, Office of Naval Intelligence, got wind of it and became very angry, and perhaps that was the source of some of the snitching on the Cuba follow-ups to Kennedy. Just prior to the Bay of Pigs, and some said even earlier, the military intelligence community had become antagonistic to CIA since they were not let in on the invasion as they thought they should have been. They knew CIA was holding out on them as information about the real big operation was coming their way from time to time. This was one of the excuses Dulles said was to have given Kennedy for some of the rumors. Just plain jealousy. Several other provocateur-type stories were, per, were also making the circuit. They are now lost from my memory. The theme was always the same. Get something started to overtly call in the military and follow up with complete seizure and installation of a favorable government. Once started, Kennedy would go along with it, but it had to be done soon. So, once again, not, not untrue words. You know, that, that was the agenda of a lot of people in the CIA, was to replace the government and make deals like they had with Batista. And they did all think that, for whatever reason, that the, you know, the entire Western Hemisphere was going to get communist overrun if they didn't do that. But, you know, that's more the fringe people, I would imagine. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's understandable. I mean, you know, it, <clears throat> you know, a guy like this, you know, with legitimate CIA connections, it's going to have some some good information, you know, and... It's mm-hmm. incredible information, and you just can't discount it out of hand, but you do have to take a closer look at it, you know. Definitely. Yeah, and that's, you know, and I think that we'll find this with a lot of sources, that people, you know, they want to think that everything someone says is true, but most of the time it's a gray area. You know, they're going to get some things right, they're going to get some things wrong. Nobody ever gets it all right all the time. Yeah, and this is just part of the whole cyclical research that just keeps it coming around, gets debunked, keeps coming around, gets debunked. <laughs> jumps up, has to get popped down again. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, here comes the McCone rally document again, Carmine. <laughs> here comes the, that. The, they were using the Zebruder as a training film to kill people. Uh, actually, they were using yeah. it as a training film for security services. But <laughs> There's Bush and Dealey Plaza again. Oh, I know. Oh. Yeah, now you've got you know the Cruise one that's just trying to jump in. I have a feeling that that oh, that so smacks, in my opinion, of uh, that big Donald Trump supporter we've talked about before. Yeah, <laughs> Roger Stone. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> I don't think that that's a coincidence. Let's just say. No, it wouldn't surprise me one bit. Um, dirty tricks. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, he was a Nixonian. <laughs> yeah. He, he was the original, he was on the guy who used the original Dirty Trick Squad. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, to conclude what Wilcott was saying, um, he said, perhaps it was reason Dulles would say, do what you must, but I don't want to hear the details. This is a standard practice in the execution of black operations. It was widely practiced. Those in positions of authority are isolated from the specific details or any part of them, and someone at a lower level assumes full responsibility. Should it come to light, the higher level can claim that it was done without authority. A few people are fired. The mission is accomplished without appreciable damage. Plausible deniability. Another, yeah, well, yeah. Accurate, yeah accurate thing. So, Despite um, the fact that Dulles had no power at this time. So. Exactly. <laughs> So, you know, more or well, this is, yeah, just before he loses it. But once again, you know, we've gone over. There are lots of reasons why he could have outweighed Dulles had been in charge since, I believe, the 40s. Yeah. He was made director, like the late 40s or 50. So the more difficult conflict was between the pro-Batista and the anti-Batista exiles. 
Kennedy had been told that these two dissenting factions were in the process of being separated. That, in fact, was the case. What hadn't been told was that the pro-Batista elements were sent to better camps, and he may not have known the many other training camps in addition to the big one in Guatemala. This was the showplace for the invasion training program. Several other existed where certain specialized training was taking place for the pro-Batista exiles. This was the favored faction by the CIA since they had the greater training and were considered more reliable. It was once explained to me that the final plans for the invasion called for sending the anti-Batista units in first as the frontline shock force. The heaviest casualties would be inflicted on this group. The tougher, more experienced, and reliable pro-Batista units would follow and assume command positions and secure the country. The remaining initial force would be manageable or removed from the field of action. Word somehow got back to the anti-Batista faction, making them very angry, and they informed to Castro agents just prior to the invasion. That might be why the Bay of Pigs failed and why they were Johnny on the spot taking them out. That's quite possible. It only takes one mm-hmm. to ruin the party. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. And and that to me, yeah, that that has a lot more that seems a lot more reasonable than just that they somehow were able to manage to get there. It seems that the bad planning and that they had upset so many people might have let leaks occur in their ideas. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and that's that's some credible, you know, information that he's bringing us, you know. Mm-hmm. Plausible. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. And then but then, you know, we get into uh you know, there's basically fighting back and forth that whether it was Kennedy or Dulles who didn't live up to this secret agreement that Wilcott keeps referring to. But unfortunately, you know, we just, we just have what he's saying about it. Right. You know, either way, you know, either way is plausible, you know, whether whether it was Kennedy or Dulles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so critics... Yeah, critics considered Dulles and Bissell fired by Kennedy as a result, not only for the Cuban failure, but due to the obstruction of, of the subterfuge they had engaged in. Most post-mortem analysis of the Bay of Pigs within CIA led to the higher duty theory, I heard it called. Certain defects existed within U.S. systems. Many years of experience and expert knowledge and intelligence were necessary to see these defects. So, yeah. you know, everybody was basically making excuses after everything failed. Well, Kennedy could see the direction the CIA was going, too, and... and- yeah. Their, their, you know, whole assassination deal with, you know, Lumumba and, and yeah, look, yep. and oh yeah, Lumumba and yep, Diem, Guatemala. You yeah, know. he wasn't a fan of how they were doing things, and and you know, you you get the guys out of there that are planning this crap and are okay in it, and give it the stamp of approval, and hopefully, you make it clear to the new guys coming in that this is not the way you want to to do things because it makes us look like. You know, freaking like we're out to rule the world, like, you know, you know, to take over everything and, and rule the world. And, you know, it's not a good look. And when you mm-hmm. start killing other world leaders and, and, you know, putting your guys in there and, uh, you know, raping the country of, of natural resources and minerals and everything else. And, you know, and, hey, if you don't go along with it, we'll just bomb you back to the Stone Age. Yeah. Needless to say, our, our, th- their business practices needed to work. <laughs> Yeah, just a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> hey, try diplomacy first, asshole. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and going over many of the things we've said prior about some of Wilcott's accusations, it was then that, you know, later on in his testimony, Wilcott states that Kennedy was not killed by a lone assassin Oswald as the Warren Commission concluded, which I agree with. <laughs> yeah. I do believe that there's a lot of substantial evidence other than what Wilcott says to support that. Right. He was killed with the criminal involvement of the CIA, which I don't agree with. Because that's not proven. No. It's possible there could have been, you know, like we've said, someone that was a rogue member or an ex-member. Right. But 
you know, not just based on what Wilcott's saying. So further criminal implication of other government persons or private individuals is certain to be shown when all the facts are known. That could be true as well, but, you know, Wilcott's just guessing. <laughs> yeah. So Wilcott state, uh, this was the Kennedy assassination as I knew it at the completion of my second tour at Tokyo Station as of June 1964. No other information acquired after that period has been included. I am willing to give sworn oath as to the truth, accuracy, and completeness, the best of my knowledge, belief, and recollection of the above under penalty of law. I resigned from the CIA in April of 1966 after nine years of employment. So Wilcott... Th that's basically largely his testimony. And now the reasons why the CIA, because people wondered why the CIA would be trying to stop him, you know, besides that he can't prove what he's saying, but why would they even be trying to stop him if what he's saying is untrue? Well, in 64, despite former official warnings, Wilcott persists in communicating on at least one occasion, and at least one occasion he protested with individuals related to civil rights groups. Right. <laughs> and and these are the I think you're referring to like the the, the core the, the Congress on Racial Equality. Yeah, that and SNCC, I believe. Yeah, and once again, these these things keep popping up. But yeah, it's a little interesting side note there. Yeah, yeah, and it's very strange behavior for a CIA personnel. Yeah, that you like would want Mark Lane, but mm -hmm. <laughs> yep, <laughs> yep. So. <laughs> Wilcott is questioned and admits to agency officials that he maintained infrequent contact with a few prior noted Communist Party members and civil rights workers. You know, it's only, what, you know, about a decade after the Red Scare? <laughs> yeah, that's all. When people were still freaking yeah. out about communists uh, in the early 60s and, and were very anti-integration. Yep. So yeah. he's, for some reason, put himself in between those two things. And, and look, you know, the C <laughs> The reason the CIA didn't want this guy to keep talking, whether what he was saying was true or not, is because it doesn't look good either way. Okay? Exactly, because he's a former employee, and then they might find out that he was also working with communists yeah, and civil you know, rights workers. Just shut up, dude. You, you know? Yep. Neither confirm nor deny. They just want you to be quiet. <laughs> yeah, just stop talking. <laughs> So, during one evening of excess of drinking, Wilcott was arrested with Ray Robinson, a civil rights worker. That's nice. Yeah. So, that definitely, I'm sure, did not make his bosses happy. And now, he's making a record of it that they can't control. Right. They can't deny it. Yep. So, Wilcott, as a result, is transferred to Miami's JM Wave Station in 1965. Well, that was a good place for him to go. I know, exactly. It's like, you know, he's not at a, a high, secretive enough place quite yet. <laughs> Let's send him to JM Wave and see if he can do some real damage. Yeah, that's like what the FBI did with Don Adams. You know, you're screwing up here in Georgia and you get you away from Miltier. Here, we'll send you to Dallas. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no problem. So the same year he sent to JM Wave... The agency's acting director of security, Harlan Westrell, interviews Wilcott, and Wilcott is called very lucky that he had been transferred to Florida because this prevented him from becoming more deeply involved with various individuals. I indicated that our concern was that several of these individuals had long-term communist connections and that it appeared that a recruitment pitch had been directed toward the subject. So they actually tried to recruit him into the Communist Party. I mean, it makes sense if you're associating with them. Hey, uh, 
who wouldn't want a CIA agent in their ranks? Oh yeah, just just the talk. I mean, just the talk Wilcott did give. Imagine what could he have given if he was actually giving them information. Yeah, we'll give this guy a couple beers. <laughs> Let's start talking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this occurs years before Wilcott offers this kind of the assassination ideas. Wilcott is reprimanded for personal activities that could threaten his agency employment. He is told another such occurrence would signal his termination. So Wilcott resigns from the agency in 1966 and left as a staff-employed finance officer due to protest regarding agency operations. Wilcott later joined the Peace and Freedom Party and publicly denounced CIA operations and promoted his assertions regarding the Kennedy assassination. And not the first guy to do this. But, uh... Nope. Yeah, there's actually yeah, that's kind of strange that there are that many government employees that have yeah. all done that. They've just as soon as they got out, they denounced everything. Yeah, they just figured, you know, that they had to be involved in some way, form or fashion, knowing what they know about how things work there and, you know, come to the assumption that, you know, that they had to be involved in some way, Yeah. even if they have no direct proof of it. And, you know, then they want to rail against them. Yeah, well, and and I know that over the years, as more proof has come out, that we now, you know, like when I talk to people, they always say, you know, was there a conspiracy? Was there a cover up? I think I, I would state that there's a substantial amount of evidence for a conspiracy, but it's not proven. But I, I think there's a substantial amount of evidence. But there is tons of evidence of the cover up. Cover ups happened. We can prove that the cover ups happened. Oh, yeah. And, and that the officials lied. Now it's why they lied that we're still trying to prove. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the trick. Yeah, and then that's where I think, you know, unfortunately, it gives momentum to things like Wilcott's stories, but it also is not unreasonable in some ideas, you know. Yeah. So it's all about finding the balance between that. So we can readily observe that Wilcott had some insider knowledge of agency operations, but his specific claims regarding Oswald knows he believed involved in the Kennedy assassination were speculation largely. Yeah. You know, it was so. just, yeah. And any of us, yeah, and I don't think it's unreasonable to think that there could have been a rogue member or an ex-member of the CIA involved. You know, it definitely looks like it's got some prints on there of intelligence operations. It definitely goes by the guidebook. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, just don't hold this up as, as your primary uh, exactly. uh, evidence. Yeah, you know. this is, yeah, this is not primary evidence, and this does not prove that it was a conspiracy. No, it's just, it's, we'll put it in the interesting file, you know. Yep, yeah, worth worth looking at and definitely worth considering against other evidence. Most definitely. So did we get to everything there, Carmine? I think so. Cool. I hope cool. I gave you guys a, a good uh, bio and a tour of Wilcott's ideas. Yeah, hopefully that answers a lot of Wilcott questions for people out there who have you know, stumbled upon uh, some certain posts about him regarding him or his involvement or knowledge about anything like this. But uh, well, thanks for stopping by and, and, and talking about uh, James Wilcott, Carmine. And Pleasure as always. Hey, man. Uh if you would, please go ahead and, and plug away. Okay. Um, if you, I have a book, new book out. It's called Two Princes and a King, a Concise Review of Three Political Assassinations. It's on the assassinations of JFK, MLK, and RFK. Uh, you can pick that up at Amazon.com. You can go to TPAAK.com, T-P-A-A-K.com. One of these days um, you'll know your own website. I know exactly. Don't you ever? I've only done this a million times. <laughs> I have or you can go point. to <laughs> com, or you can go to the Lone Gunman Podcast. And while you're listening there, there's also a link to tbag.com. They'll take you to Amazon. So please check those things out. Listen to the Lone Gunman Podcast and the Ocelli Effect. And uh, I truly appreciate it, man. I had a good time. I hope you did too. Always, always do. <clears throat> Damn. <clears throat> <clears throat> They're coming to get me, Carl. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Quit talking about Wilcott. <laughs> oh, damn. <laughs>
Yeah, man, it's always a pleasure having you on the show, and I greatly appreciate it. And folks, head over to TLGpodcast.com. Carmine has been savvy enough to find a picture of this dude, and we're going to post it up over there, as well as links to all the documents that we talked about in the show. So if you want to read them for yourself, head over to TLGpodcast.com and do so with the post for this show. Also, with the post for this show, I'm going to put up a clickable link picture for darkmyth.org, the new podcast collective that I'm a part of now. And I urge everyone out there to check it out because if you like this show, you're going to find dozens of other shows over there ranging from you know history, mythology, legends, the strange, the unusual, conspiracy, um, true crime. So definitely head over there and, and support the Dark Myths Collective at darkmyths.org. And that's it for this week, people. This some bitch is in the can, beamed up to the satellite, down directly to your ears, people. This is your boy. Peace. Benjamin Banger, freemusicarchive.org. right to save because you work too hard for your money not to. 
Lowe's is here to help with special Labor Day savings throughout the store. When you buy a DeWalt two-tool combo kit featuring a drill and impact driver, you get a DeWalt bear tool for free. Choose from a reciprocating or circular saw, angle grinder, or 20-volt battery. And update your appliances and get up to 40% off select appliance special values. This Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Tool offer valid through 828. Appliance offer valid through 911 U.S. only. You do it right to save because you work too hard for your money not to. Lowe's is here to help with special Labor Day savings throughout the store. When you buy a DeWalt two-tool combo kit featuring a drill and impact driver, you get a DeWalt bear tool for free. Choose from a reciprocating or circular saw, angle grinder, or 20-volt battery. And update your appliances and get up to 40% off select appliance special values. This Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Tool offer valid through 828. Appliance offer valid through 911 U.S. only.